0: Welcome to Supply Circles, stories from the innovators, disruptors and improvers in supply chain management today. Brought to you by AI Group.
1: Yes, indeed. Welcome back to Supply Circles. I'm James Scotland, the General Manager of Supply Chains at the Australian Industry Group. And in this podcast, I search on your behalf for the answers to the vexing question, how can we in Australia? create supply chains that are resilient and sustainable at a time when we are implementing the challenges of the three Ds, the digitalization, decarbonization, and ongoing disruptions. Today, I'm diving into one of the most critical aspects of global supply chains, an issue that's vexed us all over the last few years, and that's the global shipping and container industry. I want to get a feel for the current situation, what's happening and of the opportunities and the changes that are ahead. My guest is Jonathan Kemp, the founder and CEO of SHIPS, spelled S-H-I-P-Z, and the Asian Pacific host of a wonderful supply chain podcast for supply chain professionals, Let's Talk Supply Chain. Jonathan has over 20 years' experience as a technologist, an entrepreneur, a systems thinker, and a supply chain practitioner. As CEO of Sydney-based Supply chain technology company ships, Jonathan engages with the complexities of modern and evolving supply chains on a daily basis. If you want to know more about Jonathan, check out his LinkedIn page. We'll put the link in the show notes. Uh, I'm excited to have you on the show because it's good to deep dive into this issue. Welcome to the show, Jonathan. How are you?
0: Great, thanks for having me and it's such a pleasure to be with you and thank you for that, that lovely intro, it was very <laughs> nice to hear all those accomplishments that I uh, and I think humbly I've been able to achieve some of those things with a huge amount of help from the supply chain community and uh, listening along to folks like yourself, so thanks for having me on the show.
1: That's nice, yeah, it's a good community, it certainly is a good community uh, because mm. it's an integrated community, we understand we have to work together to make it all work for us. Hey, I wanted to ask you. You you call yourself a technologist. What is that? How do you define that? And how has that helped you in your supply chain career?
0: Well, I I call myself that because the phrase thought leader is uh, just generally makes me Mm. feel ill. Um, No, Uh, a a technologist. (laughs) A technologist really is somebody. I I, I think, as far as I can tell, is someone who looks at the world through a technology lens. Lens and does that with the express aim of trying to transform the processes or systems or architecture of what's currently being used uh, with technology. So, for instance, I'm very interested in digitalization and digitization as two slightly different things, mm-hmm. um, simply because I can see ways that technology can transform things. Now, I think technologists can get a little bit derailed sometimes because they can only see technology as the only way forward. Um, I take a bit of a balanced view and say that technology needs to work in concert with people and processes. Um, but as a technologist, I've been able to both implement uh, various systems and processes and, and new technologies to great effect, uh, but also see the effect of those changes and what they can do transformationally.
1: Yeah, um, it seems to be the, the the rest of the world is catching up with you. I notice that the Ford Motor Company, the global Ford Motor Company, is looking for a global Chief Supply Chain Officer. Uh, mm. with- and defines the role as, uh, it's a new role, brand new role, uh, it would support the efficient and reliable sourcing of components, but quote, also assist in internal technological developments. So technology in supply chain is is now front and centre. Do you want to just talk about those two different, you, you mentioned two different words. What did you mean by the two?
0: Yeah, so digitization and digitalization. Um, (laughs) There's an interesting distinction between the two of them, a little bit of controversy as to which one means what. Um, But generally speaking, digitization is to take something that wasn't digital and turn it into a digital equivalent. But digitalization is the process of using those things that you've changed in a holistic manner. Um, Mm -hmm. So a lot of companies digitize things. Um, I used to have uh, just plain paper. To process something, I used to write my signature using a pen, and I move that in a digitized fashion to not just a wedding signature that looks the same but is actually digital. It has a, a, a signature an RSA signature or encryption signature underneath it. Um, so, digitization, most companies go through and, and sometimes that's a bit painful. I don't like having to move to this fancy digital signature instead of just using a pen. Um, but digitalization is the transformational aspect of digitization. So, how how do I get my entire business from where it currently is to where it needs to be using digitized processes or technologies? Um, and how do I do that in concert with everything else that's happening in terms of all the other business priorities I'm juggling? And digitalization, is uh, supply chains are in a dawning era of digitalization, a bit of resistance to some change in some respects. Um, But in other respects, and and this is the part that I'm really fascinated with, is people can assume that digitalization is the only way forward and they forget that in global supply chains, in particular containerized supply chains, you've got big boats, big boxes, big ports, a lot of weight being moved around. Those things are inherently operational and they can't be entirely digitised, and so they need to be augmented to be complemented by technology, but they can't be supplanted. And that's where the debate rages, is how far do we need to take it with various uh, processes that we're engaged with, and how far does digitalisation need to go? I I think it's got a long way to go, but it needs to be done strategically over time
1: it's been this issue that's been facing us hasn't it where the consumer facing part of supply chains has become digitalized quite quickly uh, you know uber um, uh, getting your pizzas delivered buying online airline tickets buying, a, buying being in sydney and 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 booking a, a tour uh, around the white house in, in america for when you're there in three months time we do all that stuff quite easily but then when we get hmm. to we go back to our businesses and we start operating our businesses, we tend to not be as advanced as those uh, as, as consumer-facing ones. So as consumers, we love it, but as business mm. operators, we're a bit hesitant.
0: Yeah, so uh, the, the hesitancy probably comes because the, the business itself has to inherently change its practices mm. in order to maintain a semblance of profitability whilst catching up to what the market demands. Um, so there's definitely a different technology posture the B2C versus B2B, Um, Mm. something that I'm really interested in at the moment is payments and KYC, know your customer. So KYC is a process to ensure that financial transactions happen with known parties in a semi-regulated fashion and payments themselves travel across various rails across the world. Now, I find it really interesting that when you send someone a message through WhatsApp or Signal, Telegram, even iMessage, um, you get a notification back instantly saying it's been delivered, it's been read. Um, if you want to send a payment across the world, there are so many gates involved. And some mm, of that's regulatory, yeah. that's unavoidable, but a lot of it is just inefficient systems. And so what happens is you end up sort of going back 20 or 30 years. You might as well be writing a check and sticking it to a carrier pigeon and hoping it makes its way through the storm um, with certain types of payments processing. It's just amazing. And I think that's an example where digitalization in supply chains needs to take a colossal leap forward and it's just not there yet. It needs to actually change a lot of the fundamental practices that relate to just, say, payments processing inside supply chains. Um, and there's a lot of catching up that needs to be done.
1: But that's the challenge, isn't it? You have to fundamentally change your business while still operating your business. Um, you yeah. can do it bit, bit, bit by bit and sometimes piecemeal works. Other times you are just got to say, hang on, we're going to have to undergo a fundamental change. Let's yeah. come back to I, I, talking I, about it. Hang on.
0: I was just going to say that a bit of a tip of the hat to senior business leaders who've been around for a while and run profitable companies. It's very tricky sometimes to discern what technology is best because sometimes mm, there's shiny yeah. stuff that comes out and you think, "Oh, I must, I have to adhere to this because everyone's talking about it. It's the new kid on the blockchain." Um, but <laughs> when it comes to the actual implementation of that. Um, it can become difficult because you 're managing the profitability of the business in concert with the technological adoption um, and like you 've said, managing that that process can come with a whole bunch of challenges. so I just wanted to tip the hat to to some of your listeners who are in that position decision making position because it can be very difficult to work out what 's best
1: yeah I think the the purpose of this uh, podcast is to help people think through these issues, not to come up with answers, but just start thinking through them. I want to get back to how you do that with uh, ships, uh, your own business, uh, and some of, maybe some of the other entrepreneurial things you've done. But but first off, it's not often I get a chance to have a chat to someone who's passionate about the global container shipping industry. Um, in mm. fact, maybe I don't know many people who are passionate about that. <laughs> who are those
0: people? <laughs> who
1: are those <laughs> Who are they? Where are they? Strange, um, strange but there there are some, and we do follow them, uh, you and I, on LinkedIn and uh, other platforms. Um, on the 15th of September, the jury's World Container Index dipped below 5000 US for a container for the first time in a year, and that's well below the high of over $10,000 uh, for a container. At the same time, though, there's talks of strikes in, in England. Uh, there's the possibility of strikes in US, although that's... Although that's you know, calmed down a bit. COVID is shutting down parts of China. We've seen inflation and economic slowdowns are, are causing issues. Uh, where the economic slowdown is seeing a slowdown in parcels, which have been clogging up the container shipping industry for a long time. And, of course, the cost of fuel is going through the roof. Um, a, a mutual um, colleague of ours, Lars Jensen, reported that the Chinese spot prices are reduced for 10%. Uh, again this week, which is the fifth week in a row. But by coming down 40%, it's still 155% on the spot price of
0: 2019.
1: Um, And lastly, of course, I spoke to two Sydney-based manufacturers last week who say they are still having trouble getting good um, uh, material in and goods out uh, of Mm. the Sydney ports. Mm. It's all over the place. I mean, if you read that list, the prices are going up and down. We don't know what's going on. We've got ports being clogged around the world for all sorts of different reasons, and we're down the end of the world. Tell me what's going on. Mm. How, how can I put some clarity <laughs>
0: to that? Go- what, is, what is going on? You can do it. Yeah, can do yeah, it, yeah. it. <laughs> just give, give me. A, a, you've got two minutes to solve the world's problems. <laughs> um, so, I mean, taking a holistic view is important. Uh, so when you zoom out to a global supply chain, you realise it's not just some people call it a web rather than the chain because there's so many interconnected parts so the global supply chain is very difficult to pin down one specific thing. And That's a great that if way I to pulled... look at it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a great analogy, isn't it? Metaphor. Um, so the, the interconnected parts are so interwoven and intertwined that if I pull one lever over here and expect everything to marshal itself and change, I generally run into problems. And so the the strikes, for instance, over at Felixstowe and elsewhere, Europe, and then, you know, the flow and effect to that, to other European ports, um, is indicative of of workers realising that they're overworked, they, they, to their claim they're underpaid, um, the monster profits being enjoyed by other people in their same domain, and from their perspective they think, okay, we need to actually stand up here and fight for something that we deserve, and um, that has a ripple, a massive ripple effect to not just the shipments that are backing up in the port at that point in time but to the downstream and upstream processes that make that supply chain function. So manufacturers all of a sudden are saying, well, we were routing reliably through, say, let's say Felixstowe for some time, for for years. And now all of a sudden we've got to reroute to another port. Well, that puts a massive strain on the supplier to get all of their resources right so that they can ship to somewhere else. And so when you look at that as just one example, um, global supply chains really have been forced through a series of compression periods where a huge amount of change has had to happen, been forced into it to change in a short period of time. And as soon as that starts to occur, things really start to break. Um, the Suez Canal um, incident with the Ever Given was a classic for this. You had one boat stuck in one canal, um, not just any canal. It's a very important canal. Yeah, but when you put it like idea. that, it's very, yeah. very key. I think it's 16% of world trade or something goes through there. So it's not, nothing small. But when you put it like that, you think, oh, surely just one little boat's not going to make a difference. It's actually a ship, not a boat. Um, and it did make a huge difference it it didn 't just back up traffic um, it took months for a lot of that stuff to be resolved, and then took you know near on a year for the actual boat itself to be released from that condition that it was under with all the restrictions with legal battles that were going and so on and the cargo to be moved and so on. There's a huge amount of complexity to international supply chains. So we drill down into specifics of, say, tumbling spot rates and that's a factor of lots of different things all clanging together and the average consumer looks on and and scratches their head and says, well, how is this even possible? But the net effects can be, and it doesn't always happen this way, but it can be, I don't have toilet paper at my supermarket. It's actually gone. And why is that? Oh, well, because damn,
1: we, paper.
0: We're, we're going through these compression effects that really reverberate around the world. And because we are much more globally connected than we ever have been, and uh, we can just as easily pick up the phone and talk to someone on the other side of the world, or send them a message, as uh, you know, as we can manufacture in some other place in the world. Because of that distribution of both labor, goods, and and processing, we end up with a whole bunch of negative downstream effects when something when a little ripple happens somewhere else mm, and that's, mm. that's what we've been experiencing over the last 24 months
1: it's a real reminder that the supply chain is integrated and uh, a ripple there a little hiccup over there uh, has has a major way further on quite possibly we've seen mm. we've learned some interesting things over the covid era if you're going to mention toilet paper I'm going to say the covid word um,
0: the that's right. that's, that's Z-word. <laughs> two
1: yeah. words we're trying to avoid. <laughs> <That's> um, <laughs> uh, we have seen these, these 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 sort of choke points come to light that we knew, but we just didn't realise them. For example, if you've got a port that can unload. Five ships at once were you know computerized by five computerized cranes uh, you 've got somewhere between twenty to forty thousand containers coming off onto the docks in one day. that needs a lot of trucks uh, and mm. you know long Long Island of course had, and and England had a lot of problems with just getting drivers they, they didn 't have drivers and mm. then when they did have drivers you've ended up with one hundred thousand containers sitting in mm. one spot that has to go back, and no one 's paying for them to go back. Yeah. Is there a-, a fundamental flaw in the container shipping concept? or mm. is it we just need to manage it better
0: <laughs> wow wow like, can i just say that's a 30 trillion dollar question yeah it's not bad, to to about the world the volume of world trade which goes across uh you know containerized transport every year um it's it's somewhere around that figure yeah, right? uh, that and Who true. really knows but it's it's an astronomical figure and you know 80 or 90% of all goods um, start off or at least have partial. And by the way, we just journeys. roll off
1: those numbers, don't we? We just roll off yeah. um, five to 10 cranes, yeah. um, 40,000 so know. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah, so <laughs> I mean, it's a, 20, a 28 so, million but... in rotation. It's nearly 900 million port movements in a year, 50, 50, yes. 55,000 though. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's staggering numbers. Um, and, and what it illustrates is that, again, that complexity, which is so apparent in how supply chains function. But to getting to your question, um, There is an inherent set of flaws inside supply chains that are also their strengths. Mm. Um, An example of that is people. (laughs) People can be amazingly inefficient, uh, but they can also provide incredible intuition and innovation when something goes wrong. And a lot of what happens in supply chains is exception management, a significant amount. And I know this firsthand, running a technology company, but also looking to digitize, digitalize parts of the supply chain ourselves, but observing how other people have done it over time. Um, The general thought is that we can make everything automated. We can eliminate people. We can do all these things. But the reality of supply chains is it's it's a lot of of its exception management, as in something Mm. went wrong and I had to problem solve my way out of it. And so when you see an environment that's rife with exceptions, it's very hard to just drop machine learning in there and hope it solves for things. Um, But that being said, there's some building blocks to the global supply chain that really need to be rethought and could be rethought and could be rethought rapidly that I can make comment on and and perhaps some comment with some authority. Um, One of them is the fundamental digitalization of the actual box itself. Um, When Malcolm McLean built the shipping container, it was in an era where interconnectivity and global connectivity was a pipe dream. There's just no Mm. way that you could conceive that the whole world would be connected together in the way that we are now. And so one fundamental change I say, uh, uh, that I said 24 months ago and is only becoming more starkly apparent, is that if we can actually make the shipping container digitalized, and by that I mean secure, to actually physically secure it, but then you also give it enough smart so that when it moves, you know what happens that will fundamentally shift how the entire world trades. Um, It'll bring in a new era of visibility and transparency, which is always needed. It'll increase global supply chain security, um, but also it allows for commodities and commercial activities to occur in a much more informed fashion. And so that that if we focus just on say that one idea, um, digitalizing the shipping containers, the physical shipping containers journey, I can see a huge set of paradigm shifts that fall from that. In fact, when I was doing some research into this a number of years ago, I could work out about 24, 25 different ways you could monetize the journey of a box if it was digitalized. And so my company and others have been pursuing that end game um, because there's an inherent amount of benefit for global supply chains if we can get that sort of visibility.
1: So you're saying put a... um a sensor, put something inside or on built into the into the container, so that anyone can see it. Anyone knows where it's at. Or,
0: is <laughs> no, it a blockchain? Not, a, type not anyone. Thing? You, you need a selective data access paradigm to sort of work right. alongside uh, what the Man, anyone the involved box is,
1: in yeah. the transaction then can. can yeah, that's the, it. So the, it's the transaction inside right. the box. It's yeah, what yeah, is so the
0: box. Yeah, the box itself, but also what's inside. I mean, there, there's, there's a number of things that dictate how things move, you know, a lot of uh, stipulations, regulations, mm. frameworks. You know, the physical constraints of the box is just one of them, you know, a 20-foot container, which is 60 yeah. or so cubic square meters um, of space, cubic meters of space, uh, or the actual tonnage inside the box. You know, you can't exceed the 20 or so mm. tons that the box can physically carry you need to have some feedback loop about what's inside the container. But the actual movement of the container, if you just focused on that and and you knew more about where it was and what its dwell time was and whether or not it was empty so it could be repositioned or if you could dynamically assign ownership, uh, you would solve a huge amount of problems. Like an example of that, if you just think about it, if you've got 28 million containers or so in rotation at this point in time, Um, And you've got about 3 million backed up in US ports. And then you have US exporters saying, well, we can't get our containers out because they're all stuck behind these empties. Um, If a 20-foot container, shipping container, which runs to a very rigid standard or a 40-foot or whatever it is, high-cube reefer, um, if they can't be interchangeable, which they can't be at the moment, even though they are physically identical, almost almost to a T, um, then we end up with massive inefficiencies. So if mm. I turn up to a port and I drop off an empty box and I have to pick up that empty box as opposed to any empty box and the difference is I could transfer ownership rapidly and quickly and digitalization mm. allows you to do that, then eventually I run into a problem where all these empties back up and I can't repurpose them because they're not the empties that I can use. And so that's an example where if you had smarts on the container to denote ownership and the transfer of ownership rapidly, that you could actually solve a lot of repositioning problems, a lot of downstream inefficiency problems. You'd save a huge amount of CO2 output from ships who are trying to reposition these boxes where they need to be. Um, And ultimately, you could make a whole profitable model of this, but it just requires a huge amount of collaboration between a bunch of different players who currently are commercially vying for each other's uh, businesses and uh, trying to maintain a competitive edge.
1: Yeah, you raise an interesting point. The visibility of the containers uh, through this sort of idea might change everyone's thinking. If you go to Fremantle, Perth in WA, which is an end port, it's a global end port, there is a container farm there of, I don't know how many containers there, about six high, maybe maybe high, maybe eight high, uh, and they go from, you drive around them, you know, like mm, <laughs> you fuel, yeah. use a tech of fuel driving it's around. Suburb. It's, suburb. <laughs> it's a suburb, it's a suburb, it's a suburb. But they're just sitting there and they're not visible. You know, when you say, mm. we are all the containers in the world? Well, mm. that's just one end port. And there's no reason to bring them back because it's a, an end port. Mm. So maybe just visibility would put some efficiencies into the system.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And you have to have dedicated vessels to do that. So you can understand if I'm a carrier and I'm trying to move boxes, I'm shifting empty air, I don't make much money off that. And an estimate for, say, a 14,000 TU vessel is it's about $9 million before you even get started to shift the whole vessel worth of empties from one port to a major port to another. And if I'm looking at that as a sunk cost where I'm not making much money, if any money on that, then why would I do it? I just let them back up and I hope that it resolves itself. And that's been the problem is COVID has exacerbated the, the, the movement of displacement of empties and it's caused a huge amount of problems.
1: Um, I guess we're not going to solve it. We're just going to highlight it. Uh, but it's good <laughs> to hear you right. guys. That's yeah, some ideas. Can
0: someone <laughs> fix that, please? That would be
1: great. Right. Please. Um, let's take a break. When we come back, we'll talk about uh, your business, uh, but also maybe some other parts of supply chains. This is a good chat. We'll be back in a minute.
0: If you have supply chain or business improvement challenges, contact AI Group's Business Improvement and Growth Hub. The Big Hub is a library of practical and relevant resources designed to assist member businesses to grow and improve. The Big Hub also includes an extensive network of experienced pre-qualified business improvement consultants. For more details, contact big at That's B-I-G at AIgroup.com.au.
1: Uh, Jonathan, you mentioned you've been looking at ways to monetize the container uh, industry, but that's not your only current <laughs> focus. Tell us about Ships, S-H-I-P-Z. This is your baby, your brainchild. What's the story there?
0: <laughs> so we had the privilege of inheriting Ships.com from the, the amazing Sarah Barnes Humphrey over in Canada, and we've transformed it into a, a marketplace of freight forwarders on one side and shippers on the other. And w- why would we do that? I mean is it a dating week.
1: service is it it's
0: dating. it's a dating so we we like to say it's it's not the tinder of supply chain we like to say it's more like e harmony <laughs> because we intelligently match people um know. but i don't know if that's a great pitch but i guess we'll say that um but in in terms of the two sided marketplace it's a uh, a place where participants who generally are at arms length and sometimes find it hard to communicate can come together can swap information can make their bookings and then offer downstream services like tracking as part of the overall supply chain experience. And and stepping away from the commercial reality of that because it has its own commercial reality, but thinking about why we would do that is when when it comes to digitalization. some people are hesitant to jump in and I understand that. There's an inherent overhead to it. Um, Some people try and implement systems which are overly complicated and then their people don't use them. And we looked at the sales process in particular with the small to medium enterprises that import and export and we realised that it's quite fraught it's very difficult to find the right forwarder or the right person to move your things um it's difficult to understand the process and you kind of just want to be able to choose between a bunch of different players and not have to get bogged down in the nuance of you know understanding specifically what a 40 foot high cube is you just have stuff to move and you wish someone could step forward and move it for you um, and yeah. at the same time on the forwarder side and we realize that a lot of them are hesitant or have been hesitant to move towards a process of being allowed um, to digitize, but then also offer choice to their consumers, or being able to do that, they don't have in-house IT talent or technical talent. Um, so some of these processes, which should be quite fluid and commoditized, have become bogged down in a lot of effort being expended, with not much. You don't, you don't want to
1: put a lot of time into this? This is not your core business. I mean, not, if I'm running a business, this is not my core business. I just no. need to get it done.
0: Yeah. yeah, and so so we look at it and we think it's 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 actually okay to say that a freight forwarder's function is um, in a, to a business owner, to a shipper, their function is almost like a, just purely a cost. Like mm. transportation is a cost to me. And so if that's the case, and they have other reasons for moving things and there's other motives for it, but if that's the case, then you want to not just go with least cost but greatest value to my business. And so what we're trying to offer with threeships.com is uh, the chance for a shipper to choose but also the freight forwarder to offer not just the lowest cost but value. We don't like the idea of a race to the bottom with rates. I think that's a horrible way to build a marketplace. What we want to do is honour the work of freight forwarders who are a necessary part of that exception management I talked about earlier, um, but also give them the chance to see more of the shipper marketplace than they probably would have ever seen, both import and export, and then work out if they can intelligently match their own services to what the shippers require. And, And so this in our you know, from our viewpoint is a step in the right direction when it comes to digitalization or digitization in terms of paperwork um, because it's a soft way to enter the market with very low cost. You only really pay when things get confirmed, for instance, and you don't have this massive ongoing spend and you can get into the market and intelligently connect with various parties without having to go through a whole process of you know, upskilling or Redeploying a huge amount of capital, or so on. So it's it's our way, not just to build a commercial venture that has a success metric to it, uh, but also to help the ongoing push to digitalize the entire global supply chain.
1: I ran a, um, oh, I was involved in running a, uh, a road freight and, and air freight business for for many years, uh, and mm. uh, low rates uh, by your providers, you know, your your, your, mm. your truckers and your your plane, does not give you the the service I need. You know, it's uh, you've got to find the right rate, the value.
0: Yeah.
1: What's a, what's a which makes me think? What, what, what does a good client look like to you? Well, you know, mm. what sort of what sort of clients are you after? Because I know that you know the amateurs sometimes can be really difficult, but you can mm. educate them and they become
0: advocates. You know, what's a good? Client yeah. Like? So I mean, a classic for us is a shipper who doesn't really understand the nuance of global supply chains and neither should they they might be an importer or an exporter they might have some small degree of volume they might be running one container a month they could be running 100 but what they're looking for is to be able to discern what is available in the market for from the service provider end as in who's going to move my stuff and how can they move it efficiently at the greatest value to me as a company Um, Mm. And so again, value is our driver there. It's not just dollars, it's value. And so an example on the service provider side, an ideal customer for us or an ideal participant in the marketplace is someone who understands that value is a key driver and not just cost. I was talking to a freight forwarder the other day, a really great, honest to goodness freight forwarder here in Australia. And The person I was speaking to unequivocally understood that and they said, we're often not the lowest cost, but I tell you what, we'll get your cargo from A to B. And I said, that's been my experience with your team. I would use them preferentially to get quotes and get further information because I knew they had the resources to actually pull off what they claimed. And so we want to make sure that the marketplace has intelligent participants involved in them. So on the shipper side, we're looking for importers, exporters, anyone who's moving cargo who wants to have choice They might save a bit of money, but they also are able to digitalize that journey to make it nice and easy to book something. And on the freight forwarder or service provider side, we're looking for folk who may have systems in place, may not, may be able to deploy some minor resources to make it work, but can offer services which really transform the shipping experience and are able to do that in a way which acknowledges that we are moving towards the technology facilitator or technology augmented future together.
1: Yeah, when I was talking to uh, that Sydney manufacturer that I was telling you was having trouble getting uh, goods in, um, resources in goods out, uh, they were selling to America and uh, their buyer uh, was saying uh, 95% old uh, language, die uh, 95% delivery mm. in full on yep. time is just atrocious. It's not, it's not in the game. <laughs> and that's, that's difficult if you don't have a reliable shipper. You're basically saying mm. make sure you've got a shipper that suits your needs, understands your needs, and is doing its best to get uh, to get you to get to what your end game is, which is delivery yeah. of my goods to you in full on time.
0: Yeah, that's right. And some people, like we, we, for instance, have seen this through COVID, and this is a startling statistic, and I think it's people listening along who might be in the shipping community would know this full well. Um, we talked to a, a importer in from Canada, and she said, We've gone from one freight forwarder to fourteen over the course of COVID, and what they need, they get desperate, so they they branch out and look for anyone who can move their stuff. But the problem is, is they might have a great relationship with one forwarder, and supply chain is really built on relationships for the most part. But then they branch out to another. They've got no idea who the other person mm. is. Oh, a friend of a friend, a friend's cousin, mm. this guy down at the pub mentioned that this person actually moves stuff. It's very difficult to get a concrete set of objective metrics to say. This is exactly who they are and this is what they specialize in. And so the role of SHIPS is to do that. Over time, we're baking in things like um, reputation-based scores and then also advanced profiles, which tell you what these people specialize in. And all that allows you to do is make more informed decisions, which is really what we're we're gunning for.
1: Uh, We keep coming back throughout the whole uh, podcast series, we keep coming back to the idea that supply chain is relationship-based. You said this at the beginning, Mm. that it's all about people. You can't Mm. necessarily... Uh, do away with the idea. You can't automate everything. You've got to have people who are managing it, and the relationship Mm. is so important. Mm. Um, Let's move on. Um, In a recent LinkedIn post, you mentioned one of my favorite um, concepts, which is uh, uh, systems thinking, and your post was talking about the bullwhip effect. Uh, which I'll get you to talk to in a minute if you like. Systems mm. thinking, for those who don't know, is basically it says that everything is an interrelated activity. Everything is based on cause and effect. Sort of the basic concept is if I run out of fuel in my car, that's the effect. The cause is that earlier on in the supply chain, I didn't fuel up. Fuel up, And everything in the supply chain is based around this idea of it's interrelated, it's a ripple to a wave, it's a... Um, uh, um, cause and effect, but then we Hmm. bring in this bullwhip effect. Do you want to talk about that Hmm. and what your article is about?
0: Yeah. So I just highlighted the fact that when it comes to COVID in particular, but it could be any period of time where there's a period of disruption, but a global pandemic is a pretty good period of disruption if, if ever you wanted one. When it comes to it, it wasn't bad. It wasn't bad. Silver lighting's there, but for the most part, it was. I lived through COVID. (laughs) That's right. I I survived. I got the t shirt. Um, (laughs) But when it comes to COVID and global supply chains, it. It brought into a clanging reality the distinction between spending on stuff, goods, cargo, those sorts of things, and spending on services because all of a sudden the world was basically told, well, you can't spend on services. You can't go to restaurants. You can't, yeah, you can't, you can't, you can't go to movies. Less you can't passengers. take that trip overseas, um, you know, the perennial trip for Australians to Bali. You just couldn't do that anymore. Now, if you look at service spending as a percentage of, say, a family or an individual's budget, you might have carved five grand out. For for that sort of activity over the course of the year, I think people's discretionary spending just on coffees alone over the year might might equal about five grand, depending on what <laughs> no, term, area of the world that, you can. are. You? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Something like that depends where you get your coffees. Um, but people are spending that sort of money every year, and all of a sudden that tap gets turned off. Well, what do you do? Well, you buy stuff. So you're buying a new TV. You're landscaping your backyard. You might be buying a couch. Well, all that stuff has to come from mm-hmm. somewhere and all of a sudden you've got this massive inflow and outflow of goods out of various parts of the world. Well, COVID created a demand wave which wasn't anticipated and rippled its way throughout the world because consumers suddenly changed from service spending to goods spending, spending on stuff, and all of that stuff had to be sourced, and a lot of it got sourced from China and other Southeast Asian countries. And that's what
1: blocked up the container uh, industry. That's,
0: That's exactly right. And so all those ships that were... You know, off the coast of uh, Long Beach, LA, LAB, were symptomatic of a massive influx of goods. A lot of that came because retailers hit the panic button. They thought we might not be able to get stuff for some time. We want to stock our shelves. We want to build up our inventories. And so they overordered And now we're seeing massive discounts uh, come out the back end of that. And that's a classic illustration of the bullwhip effect. As soon as at one end of the bullwhip, um, you don't have a clear signal to pass back up the chain the magnitude of the wave gets higher and lower depending mm-hmm. on what you're what you 're doing um, and so that bullwhip, if you can sort of picture it in your mind is kind of like a sound wave as such. Yeah. And when it gets all the way down to the consumer who pulls that item off the shelf, that action doesn 't have a really great feedback loop all the way back through to the other side of the world where the person's building that item which has just been pulled off the shelf and because the feedback loop gets disrupted by lots of different things, including supply chain logistics disruptions, it just gets more and more magnified, so it gets worse in effect. Mm. And so what happens is you get these massive periods of booms and busts, over-ordering, under-ordering, and then you get a stock out at the other end because all of a sudden the supermarket can't anticipate that now everyone wants toilet paper. Now they don't. Now they want it again. Mm. What's going Mm. on? Um, It's very hard to get a feedback loop uh, for that process. And so when we talk about technology, Augmenting, facilitating supply chains. When we talk about systems thinking integrated into supply chains, what it should really be trying to do is, is eliminate that bullwhip effect in both the service economy, which not many people talk about, but also in particular for containerized goods in the in the in the stuff economy, the, the things that we. I had, do. A,
1: uh, I had a university lecturer who explained it to us as: uh, imagine that you were selling um, a niche beer, you know, a, a kind of you know, a nice beer, and you went to the pub, mm. and the pub bought. Uh, a case, uh, like a uh, t- 10 cases of this beer and sold on a Friday night. Everyone loved it. It was great. It went so fast. He then bought, uh, you know, five pallets. That went mm. really fast. Uh, and then he bought 20 pallets. In a month's time, he was buying a truckload of it. But in a month's time, consumers had moved on from this unique taste mm. to another unique taste. And all yeah. of a sudden, he's got a truckload of beer uh, sitting there mm. that's of no use. And the problem is that you're behind the decision-making. You know, like yeah. the people buying the beer uh, – uh, are making decisions and, and you're trying to react to it, which is something that's to of toilet paper. And so yeah, you get this bullwhip effect because you keep buying more yeah. and more and you don't really need more and more because the decisions changed. Mm. AI can't sort that or can sort that?
0: Uh, well, there's. there's not a a AI, few th- but. Yeah, yeah no, not just AI. I think technology in general has something to say about that. But there's a few things that I think people fundamentally um, miss when it comes to gauging demand um so the pure sale at the checkout or you know in this case at the pub counter um shouldn't be the only indicator that a business is using to try and mitigate the bullwhip effect they should be doing a whole bunch of different things for instance if they know that a major Beer manufacturer in this instance is running an advertising campaign with a new fancy taste, and the demographic of their local area is probably going to swing to this alternative. Um, they use other data points to inform their decision making, not just the single data point that they have at their solo pub, for instance. Um, I was talking with Laura Cesare about this just recently, and she has this concept of a river of demand, and it has tributaries that come into it. And those tributaries are supposed to inform the end game of that river of demand, not just Mm -hmm. the single river. Um, And it's a really good visual metaphor of what needs to happen. And I think even large companies, and and a number of them were testifying in the conference that she she just held, um, that they couldn't get this right because their teams were fixated on looking at just one set of metrics instead of looking at all the data points Mm -hmm. and then using technology-facilitated solutions to help understand the data points. And what happened was they just went continuously through boons and busts the cash to cash was out the window. There was just no way they could recover their operations profitably because they weren't coordinating all of the information that they had or that they could gather to hand.
1: Uh, this highlights the importance of the the dynamics of the supply chain management. You know, uh, if, if we've learned anything during COVID, is that supply chain needs to be seen as Uh, integrated, uh, it needs to be seen as end-to-end, and you need to be looking at the dynamics of it, not just the basic, oh, I I don't have any goods sitting here. (laughs) (laughs) What's wrong with the container industry? Been a great chat. It's been wonderful having you on the show. I feel like we should get you back and talk some more. Um, if people want to understand more about the bullwhip effect, your article in LinkedIn is very good. Um, and if you want to know more about ships, I guess probably LinkedIn's the place. Where do you see yourself Go in a few it. years? Are you? Uh, what do technologists see in the future?
0: <laughs> <laughs> a few years time, I'll, I'll talk to one thing. I'll hint at it, and perhaps we can talk about it in a further conversation. I think there'll be one. If I can talk to one transformational technology that will in just inevitably change how global supply chains function, it is the low-Earth orbit layer of space. As soon as you look at the proliferation of satellites at that layer, and people can Google what I'm talking about, um, you will see that in w- without people acknowledging or needing to acknowledge that this is a thing, it will usher in a new era of visibility that we don't yet really understand. A lot of businesses won't really understand um, and they're probably not planning for. And I say that with some degree of fact and research behind mm-hmm. those, those statements. But what we will see from that layer of space is is increased visibility and subsequently transparency, which will be fantastic for the seafarer experience at sea. It will be fantastic for globalised, containerized supply chains will also transform maritime operations as well and assist greatly assist the environment. So I'm really looking forward to that in the next couple of years being a, a real transformational change.
1: It's got an acronym, LEO. Low Earth. Mm, LEO, it's a cool, um, it's a cool little Leo. thing. LEO, well. it's very cool, isn't it? That's right. Uh, and, it's, and, it's, and it's important because the, the problem with uh, um, uh, uh, items on container ships is they end up in dead areas of the... Of the ocean not the mm. areas of the ocean but areas we can't get to the between the between land masses etc so yeah okay that mm. sounds that sounds like one to watch
0: leo uh, leo, you, leo layer of space that's right
1: it's it's been, it's been great uh chatting with you you mentioned at the start you hated the idea you don't like the term thought leader um i'm gonna have on my grave if i have a grave i'm gonna have robbie williams quote of i'm uh, contemplating thinking about thinking that's, uh, the, <laughs> that's the story of my well,
0: life I, I do that often actually yeah i've almost um, started. I'll, yeah
1: i'll get round to right. thinking one day but it's pretty hard thinking so i'll just contemplate thinking about it
0: yeah that's right contemplating
1: great talking yeah. to you thanks
0: great thanks so much